In the epistle to the Hebrews, we're told that Jesus, in every respect, has been tempted as we are, and yet he did not sin. And in our gospel reading, Luke chapter 4, verses 1 to 13, we see Jesus in the throes of what really is an intense temptation. Sometimes I think we read something like this and we assume that it wasn't really difficult for Jesus. I I think that we sometimes imagine Jesus like Superman. On the outside, he looks ordinary, Clark Kent, but underneath the disguise, he's all-powerful, able to do whatever he wants to do, just zap reality and it'll bend into his will. And so then we read something like this or hear something like the temptations read and we don't really believe that he's really being deeply tempted. But if we're reading Luke like a novel, like a story, if we're reading it scene by scene, line by line, then we recognize that we've just been reminded the very last thing that happened before this, the genealogy, ends with Jesus, the son of Adam. It's just been driven home to us that he is a full participant in humanity. He is fully human. He is as human as Adam was. The last person tempted by the devil to break a fast. Here he is. Adam was told you can eat anything you want in this garden, but you can't eat from that tree. You must fast from that tree. Satan comes to him, tempts him. He loses it. You're supposed to be remembering this. You're supposed to know that as deeply tempted as Adam was, Jesus, not less, but more. He really is fully human. And here he is experiencing temptation just like you, just like me, just like one of us. He has our flesh and our blood. Like Hebrew says, in every respect, he was tempted like we are. Now, that doesn't just mean he experienced the thing that tempts you. It means he experienced the temptation. Don't underestimate this. The deep wrestling, the heart searching. Don't underestimate the powerful pull of bodily appetites. Did you notice? The perfect time he struck, right? 40 days of not eating. And then he's tempted to eat. Don't don't underestimate the incredible appeal to his ambition. The offer of prestige. So what about you? Are you being tested? Are you being tempted? What temptations are you facing right now? How are the whispering voices trying to allure you trying to lure you off course into doing things that you shouldn't do or into doing the thing you should be doing but in the wrong way. What are you going to do about it? What resources are you drawing on to resist not the sins that aren't tempting but the sins that are tempting? What resources are you drawing down upon? Jesus here shows us a way. Notice he gives us three sources of strength. 
when we're facing temptation. I want to point them out to you. First of all, just before this season of temptation, we're told in Luke chapter 3, verse 22, that at his baptism, the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus. Then at the beginning of the whole temptation scene, we're told in Luke chapter 4, verse 1, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, or withdrew from the Jordan. And then once the temptation is over and the next scene begins, chapter 4, verse 14, we're told, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. Every scene starts with reference to Jesus' life in the Spirit. And this kind of stuff is all over Luke's gospel. Jesus received the Spirit and he lived under the influence of Of the Holy Spirit. A major source of strength. For resisting temptation. In Jesus' life. Is this. He does not take his life in the spirit for granted. He nurtures it. He doesn't say. Oh at my baptism. I received the spirit. I received this incredible relationship with God. Sealed by the person of the spirit. And he doesn't take that for granted. He nurtures it. He nurtures it. Primarily in this way, by balancing his prayer and his work. Now, we don't have time to go all through Luke's gospel to show you that tonight, but we'll do that in weeks ahead. We're going to have a whole sermon at some point on life and spirit. But this is the thing I want to put on your register. Jesus nurtures his life in the spirit by attending to a balance of prayer and work. Over and over in Luke's gospel, you find Jesus in prayer and in work. How about you? Are you taking life in the spirit for granted? Or are you nurturing your life in the spirit through a commitment to a balanced approach to prayer And life. Are you nurturing your life in the spirit? During the season of Lent. Use the devotionals that we provided. We've got extra copies on the back table. Set aside time every day for prayer. Not Mickey Mouse prayer. Not the way you prayed as a child. But real prayer. Grown up prayer. Yes, there's ways in which we should become like children, but there are many ways we should not become like children. And in our prayer life, we must have the faith of a child, but we must grow. Are you doing this? Set a goal, 15 minutes a day, 20 minutes a day, whatever it is, set a goal to get alone with God every day and use this devotional To pray, to really pray. And as you read through the Gospel of Luke, you'll see that Jesus is habitually in deep communion with the Father through prayer. As we read as a church together in our daily devotions through the Gospel of Luke, you'll see him praying intensely at moments of significant decision making. He doesn't cruise into autopilot. Before he chooses the twelve. You find him alone, deeply praying through the night in prayer. 
You'll find Jesus in a prayerful process over and over of discerning God's will so that he can persist along the path of service and obedience and loyalty to the Father. Prayer is the way Jesus discerns and embraces the will of God. And prayer is where Jesus finds strength. For Jesus, the battle is fought in prayer, and then he goes to the cross. For so many of us, we pray a little preface, a little preamble, and then we get down to the real business of struggling through life. Jesus, the source of his strength, was his prayer life. In prayer, Jesus is empowered and he's strengthened to do the hard work of his vocation. A unique vocation. But you too have a hard vocation. Your work is hard. Sustaining hope. Going for it. Rising up to the occasion day after day showing up at work. Working hard. Suffering injustice. Suffering assignments that are too much. This is Jesus. How does Jesus get strength for his work? That's how we get strength for our work. I could go on and on, but let's leave it here. Life in the Spirit is a key source of strength for Jesus in resisting temptation. He nurtured this by a balanced life of prayer and work. Are you balanced? Are you better at your job than at prayer? Do you have a master's degree, a terminal degree in your work? How are you in prayer? Has anyone ever said to you, teach me to pray? I notice when I'm around you that I can't. Pray. Learn how to pray. There is no hope for temptation apart from it. Second, once again, going back to the lead up to his temptation, going back to his baptism, the last thing that Jesus experienced before the temptation was at his baptism when he heard God say, you are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. Again, like the issue of life in the spirit, too much for tonight. We've got to be quick tonight. But let me say this. Jesus receives his identity From the Father. The Father bestows an identity upon the Son. Now we live in a culture that approaches identity from the exact opposite perspective. In fact, I think that right now we live in a moment in time where self-identity is the only remaining moral absolute. This is all over our culture. In our culture, the way you find yourself The way you get to the sacred, absolute place is not from outside. You look inside. You look deep inside and you decide what your dreams are. And you decide you find certain feelings and intuitions and you express those no matter what your family or society says. That's what the hero narratives of our culture say. Elsa, that great theologian in Frozen, she sings at the climactic moment, it's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. 
And just so the old people aren't laughing at the young people, what about Julie Andrews in The Sound of Music? Climb every mountain, ford every stream, follow every rainbow till you find your dream. And who is she being told this by? A woman she's in a covenant relationship with who's telling her to leave the community she's committed to and find herself on her own. It's not just Elsa. It's the sound of music. But in the Bible, identity doesn't come from outside, from inside. It's not achieved. It comes from outside and it is received. It is a polar opposite move. The Father gives us an identity when He names us at our baptism. This is something that our culture absolutely recoils from. Being named. Receiving an identity from outside yourself. This idea that someone else gives you your identity and that you don't discover it yourself or create it yourself. This is an act of oppression in our culture. But you know what happens when you root your identity inside yourself? Your self changes. How many of you looking back at your 20s think you were dumb? And then in your 30s looking back you think, my goodness how dumb I was. And then in your 40s, I think in the 40s we arrive, is my theory. If you're going to resist temptation like Jesus, you've got to know that you are loved by the Father. You've got to have an identity that is stable and cohesive. To, to resist temptation, you've got to know that you're loved by the Father, that He names you. And this gives you a stable, coherent, generous identity that is an enormous well of strength in times of temptation. At your baptism, the Father declared over you His love for you. And the death of the Son, He said, was for you. And you've got to believe that. You've got to believe that He died for you. And, more, and not only do you have to believe it, it's got to get to your imagination. You've got to learn how when you're struggling with temptation, you've got to know how to pull out your identity in Christ and bring it to the forefront of your imagination. This is what Paul says in Romans chapter 6. I mean, just, this is a, a remarkable passage. Listen to these words. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? In the New Testament, when the word baptism is used, nine times out of ten, it means just that, baptism. Not a metaphor for a prayer for salvation, but when you were baptized. Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized, ritually baptized, have been baptized into Christ? We were baptized into his death. We were buried in our baptisms. Therefore, by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly... See, in other words, you need to know this. You need to have this in your imagination. You need to, you need to go back and grab yourself by your baptism and say, Look, if I was buried with him, I will be, Paul says, raised with him. You've got to imagine that. You've got to own that. You've got to believe that. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For no one who has died has been set free. Has no one who has died. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, talking about in our baptisms, 
we believe we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Now get this. That's a lot of thick theology. He's just, he's pounding away, Paul is. He's trying to get you to really believe the truth about yourself. This is the hardest move of faith for me. It's harder for me to believe this than it is for me to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. To really believe that I'm dead to sin. To own that in my heart, in my imagination. Get this. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. You've got to consider it. You've got to imagine it. You've got to see it. Let not sin... Therefore, reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Do not present the members of your, of your body as, to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. Look, he's saying, if you can see yourself in the right way, if you can believe in your identity that you were given at your baptism, and you can own it, and you can see it in your imagination, that's Paul's weapon to fight sin. So Jesus, right before he goes into temptation, the father doesn't let him go without hearing this identity. You got your identity from the father. You've got to get it not only in your head, but in your imagination. Now, how do we do that? How do we get this beloved of the father into our imagination? Worship. Week after week, you're reminded of it. Scripture, day after day, you're you're immersing yourself in this. Praying about it, thinking about it, considering it, looking at temptation and saying, wait a minute, I'm beloved of the Father. He named me. The reason I got a PhD was because a very significant scholar offered me a chance to study with him. To be esteemed by the praiseworthy can motivate you to do things that go against your nature. I was the least likely candidate in my family to get a PhD. But I got esteem from a praiseworthy person who didn't even die for me. He just gave me some of his time. See, you've got to register in your imagination that you've got esteem from the the Lord of the heavens, from the creator of all things. He esteems you. You are beloved of his. Are you doing this? Are you letting your identity sink into your imagination? Third, the third source of strength that Jesus draws upon in his fight against temptation is scripture. Did you notice that Jesus responds to the devil not... By arguing, but by quoting. He quotes scripture. Arguing with temptation is often just our own tricky little way of playing with the idea until it becomes so attractive we can't resist it. So when Jesus says in response to the devil, it is written, this is technical language. It means the Bible carries the full authority of God. In the letter to the Ephesians, we're told that Scripture is the sword of the Spirit. This is why we're asking you over the course of Lent 
Take the devotional. Read every day through the Gospel of Luke. Pay the price. Shift your schedule. Go to bed earlier if you have to. Get up earlier if you have to. Do what it takes to increase your exposure to Scripture. If you're normally only exposed to Scripture on Sunday, then start reading the Bible during the week. Begin to spend time reading the Bible every day. Even again, if it's just a 20-minute goal, read the Bible and pray. My Lenten practice, several years has been, and I commend this to you, let Scripture be the last thing your eyes see at night and the first thing they see in the morning. Trade your iPhone habit for the season of Lent for a Scripture habit. For the season of Lent, instead of leaving your Bible elsewhere in the house, leave your iPhone elsewhere. And put your Bible right there where you normally you sleep with your smartphone. And you know you do. Fall to sleep on a page of Holy Writ is the way one of the church fathers put it. It doesn't even have to be a big Bible study or anything. And if you don't know the Bible, just find John 3.16. Start there. Read it. Go to sleep. First thing your eyes see when you open them in the morning, don't reach for the, for the news on your iPhone or whatever you do on your cell phone. There they are, the three sources of strength that Jesus drew upon in his battle with temptation. Three sources of strength for staying loyal to God, loving him with your entire heart, your, your mind and your soul and your strength. It's, the central, it, it, it's central to the Christian life to learn To recognize the voices that whisper attractive lies. And to distinguish them from the voice of the Father. And use these simple but direct weapons offered by God. Nurturing your life in the Spirit. Through your prayer. Holding your God-given identity in your mind and imagination. And deeply immersing yourself In scripture. Amen.